This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Um, today we are going to be reading um, Isaiah 23. Right. The Oracle Concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste, without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast. The merchants of Sidon who cross the sea have filled you. And on many waters your revenue was the grain of Shior, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken. The stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. When the report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, wail, O inhabitants of the coast. It is your exultant city whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away. Who has purposed this against Tyre, the bestower bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? The Lord of hosts has purposed it, to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. Cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no restraint anymore. He has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, you will no more exult, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus, Even there you will have no rest. Behold the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melody, sing many songs that you may be remembered. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord." This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Emmaus. You're like, look, everyone found seats just fine. I feel like uh, we had an exceptionally smooth setup this morning, which was nice. Emily's nodding her head yes, uh, and I think it, it really made for, uh, for me just a joyful time in prayer. Um, you know, I, I'd like to say I could just like turn off all the thoughts in my head um, when I sit down to pray, but it, it's difficult. So it was really nice this morning to kind of have space, kind of have time, and uh, 9.45 we all kind of went around and spent some time in prayer. So that was just a, a blessing to me, and I, I appreciated uh, that opportunity. Uh, let's... Let's start this morning 
um, with some prayer, uh, just asking the Lord to help us uh, make some sense of this passage this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you work through the poor and the needy. Lord, uh, we come before you as we get a tiny glimpse of your presence. We get a just a taste of your holiness. We can't help but um, bow. We can't help but realize how much we are lacking, and yet you use us. You use us to proclaim your gospel. You use us to image you. you. You've made us in your image so that we reflect your glory to those around us, Lord. Um, unbelievable. I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that your spirit would, um, would make this good news, that your spirit would make us believe what you were saying so that we can enjoy more of you. Lord, I pray that as we are confronted with your judgments, the things you have decided about this world, and we, we push back in our sin, that we would repent of that and, and ultimately turn to you and find our joy and our peace in your presence, Lord. So I, I, we need your spirit to help us with that. So I pray that he would be with us this morning and that um, we would grow in more and more in the image of you as we, as we are, are, see your presence uh, and love you. In your name I pray, amen. So our... So our series is, we're, we're calling it His Presence and His Judgments. And uh, we've sort of had to, we had to rethink how we think about judgment because I, I think there's a, an element of judgment that is wrath. God makes a judgment and pours out his wrath. But if you Google the definition for judgment, it's more like a considered decision. Uh, you're, you're, you're thinking through something and you're trying to make an appropriate judgment about the situation. So we make, we make judgments or we make decisions about things all the time. And so as we walk through this section in Isaiah, we have all these sort of oracles where God is, is looking at Babylon, God is looking at Egypt. This morning he's going to look at Tyre and Sidon, and he's, he's giving us his decision about this situation. He's giving us his judgment. And you think if, if it was, uh, if it was a, a decision that came from the creator of the universe— if it was uh, something that the, the all-knowing, all-powerful God that created everything that we understand, believe, and know, and experience, you think that that would be enough for us, where if we believe that God said this is how things are, we would just accept it. But the, the sad reality is that we're broken and that we have sinned. And so God will make a very clear statement about something. God will make a considered decision, a judgment about something, and it quickly kind of just goes out of our mind. Or, or we know it's there, but we don't really want to accept what he has to say. And so it's, it's, in our, it's our sin that's keeping us from, from accepting God's judgment, and, and it's not that we get something better out of the deal, at the end of the day, we actually experience less of God. Because we reject his judgments, we actually experience less of his character. We experience less of his glory. We experience less of the beautiful and wonderful things that he has for us in the gospel because our sin it just is frustrating. It just rejects what he has to say. And so, we, so that's why we say that the gospel is beautiful because God doesn't ultimately come after us. God doesn't ultimately share his judgments with us because we're so wonderful. He shares his judgments with us because we're united to Christ. And no matter how much we 
ignore or don't have to be pushed back on what he's saying. If we're united to Christ, he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. He loves you. He has affections for you. So as we, so as we walk through Isaiah, he's continuing to give us his judgments, not so that we would know what we do wrong, but yes, that's an element of it. Foolishly, we push back. But so at the end of the day, we would accept what our creator is saying and be drawn closer to him. So at the end of the day, we'd accept his judgments so that we would enjoy, so that we would rest in, so that as we prayed this morning, we'd find perfect peace in the presence of the Lord. And so he's using these nations as a way to give us sort of his considered decisions about things in our life. He talked about Babylon a couple times. And Babylon, you know, it's been fun to hear people say, like, what's your Babylon? You know, like, even in, we, even in prayer this morning, that came up. We, we're, uh, Cole was mentioning how we're attracted to Babylon, in a sense. And, and, and Babylon is everything in the world that gets in the way of Jerusalem, which is being in the presence of God, imaging God as the people of God. And here's a wonderful expression of Jerusalem. People are serving each other today. We're worshiping God and we're, we're in the presence of God as we worship today. So Babylon is everything that gets in the way of Jerusalem, which could be anything, really. Could be a great meal, it could be a house you wanna buy. So anything that just gets in the way of us being in the presence of God. That's God's judgment about things that keep us from that, and yet we still, in our sin, love those things and go after those things. He talked about Egypt, Ben talked about Egypt a little bit, saying that it's actually in our suffering In God's judgment, his considered decision is that in our suffering, in our humiliation, is how we're drawn closer to him. We actually enjoy more of God when he brings us through suffering and humiliation. I'm not ready to accept that one. But if we we think about these judgments and we look at the cross and we say, well, what did Jesus value? He, had his, he, had, he looked forward to the glory set before him. He wasn't caught up in Babylon. He was looking forward to Jerusalem. And look what God did with his life. Look, we're here today because of what he's done. He, didn't, he, didn't, he knew that in his suffering, God would use that for great things and would ultimately raise him up. Jesus himself committed to the judgment that in suffering and weakness, God would use that for wonderful things. And who was closer to the heavenly father than the son himself? And so now we get another judgment on Tyre and Sidon. And I feel like it kind of goes, goes to the heart uh, for some of us in Denver. Uh, he aims at our wallets. He's making a judgment on, on our resources and our wealth. Tyre and Sidon and the ships of Tarshish are, are sort of the, the, the trade or the, uh, the economic prosperity of the day. And he's saying, I'm looking at the, the Amazon or whatever it is. I'm looking at the, the worldwide trade system, this, this thing that you would invest in and get a return. And I'm making a judgment on the, on the world economic system. And I'm telling you, God is telling us that Jerusalem is the only safe long-term investment. He's saying that Jerusalem is the only safe long-term investment. So this morning, we're going to look at the wrong, I think I said the uh, failed investment. First, we're going to look at the, the failed investment of Tyre and Sidon and um, uh, in the ships of Tarshish. And then we're going to look at uh, a certain investment. 
And then we'll take a few minutes to sort of think that through and hopefully apply that in a way that at the end of the day ultimately brings us closer and closer to the to presence of the Lord. So, so let's look at the, the failed investment and jump in right in the first couple of verses. And chapter 20 says, The oracle concerning Tyre, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste. Without house or harbor from the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast, the merchants of Sidon who cross the sea have filled you. And I think when we, at least when I first read this, I'm thinking, um, I don't know where Sidon is. I don't know where Tyre is. And what are these ships of Tarshish? Um, and it's interesting. We know that Tyre and Sidon are, are port cities. Uh, and we know that they were actually used in the ancient world to, to sort of move things around and, and brought wealth to a lot of nations. But, but if you were a Jew, if you were familiar with the Old Testament, and you heard the phrase ships of Tarshish, if you heard the phrase ships of Tarshish, which is really hard to say, uh, you would instantly be thinking of the time where your nation was the most baller, most legit nation of all time. You'd be thinking of the time of King Solomon, where, where literally they had so much gold and silver that silver wasn't really worth anything. Talk about inflation. It's like silver isn't worth anything. Uh, look at Look at 1 Kings chapter 10. This comes up. It takes me a little bit longer to get there. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 21. says, All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Why? Why was he so rich? Because the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Things from all over the world. And I like the little footnote in your Bible. It's peacocks or um, baboons. <laughs> so... Keeping track of the Hebrew word for exotic animals over thousands of years is difficult. And so uh, I think the, the point is that these ships of Tarshish were sort of the economic powerhouse that would bring gold and bring exotic things from all over the world. So, this, this, so right away, Isaiah is, is talking to us. God's giving his judgment on what would have been sort of the economic world trade powerhouse of the day. Uh, let's keep going. Verse 3 says, On many waters your revenue was the grain of Shihor, the harvest of the Nile, and you were the merchant of the nations. So the, the Nile is another thing that's come up. I think Ben mentioned it when he talked about Egypt, but a, the Nile is like the river that provides for the wealth of, of one of the wealthiest nations at the time. So he's basically saying, your, when he says your revenue was the grain of Shihor, the harvest of the Nile, he's saying you had unlimited resources. You had all the ships, you had all the merchants, and, and man, you, Amazon's warehouse had nothing on what was being pumped out of the Nile. You had all of the wealth of the nations that was running through you. And he goes on to say, verse four, be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the stronghold of the sea. He's using that as a sort of a phrase for Tyre, this port city. I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. He's saying, look, all of these things you had, all of this great wealth, all of this wonder 
and, and commerce that, 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 that came from your ships and from your port cities, at the end of the day, it gets you nothing. When you're destroyed, you have nothing to show for it. You've neither labored nor given birth. You're not a failed business that gave birth to a better one. Utter destruction. Complete decimation. And in verse five, it says, when this report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. They'll be in anguish. Utterly destroyed. Cross over to Tarshish. Wail, O inhabitants of the coast. Is this your exultant city whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? And they ask, with sort of like this devastation, this, this huge economic powerhouse that was Tyre and Sidon in the ships of Tarshish, they ask, okay, who, who's, who did this? Why do we have utter destruction? And he go, in verse 8, he says, who purposed this against Tyre? The bestower of crowns. The bestower of crowns. It's like, we're so wealthy. We have such economic prosperity. We determine who's in charge. If we determine who's in charge, what happened? Who determined these things? Whose merchants were princes, the, the shop owners were rulers than themselves. Whose traders were the honored of the earth. Who has done this to us? And we get an answer in verse nine. The Lord of hosts. This is Yahweh of heaven. The, 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 the Lord, the I am of, of all the hosts and myriads of angels. The Lord of hosts has purposed it. And he tells us why. He tells us why he's brought such economic downfall. He says, to defile the pompous pride of all glory and to dishonor all the honored of the earth. To defile the pompous pride of all glory. And they said, we're the honored of the earth. He says, I've done this now. I've done this now to dishonor all the honored of the earth. And I think this makes sense in light of some of the other judgments that we've seen. How does God ultimately bring his people closer to him? Through suffering, through humiliation. What is God, what is God ultimately working to do but to bring himself, the creator of the universe, glory and honor? And we talked about this with Babylon. Who, whose honor and whose glory is Babylon concerned with? Man's. So here we have this not this, not this like governmental system that's sort of uh, shown to us in Babylon. We have this sort of economic, this sort of like trade with Tyre and Sidon. And, and, what, and what is the, what's the, as we, as we even just think about like economic systems in our, in our own time frame, like why do we have world trade? So that God can be glorified and Jerusalem can grow? So, so that we can image God? And, and be in the presence of God? Is that the, the mission statement of, of, of all the like economic power centers in the world? No. I mean, at the end of the day, it's also ultimately to prop up man. And he's, he's telling us this. He's trying to tell us that Jerusalem is the only safe long-term investment and that, that all these things in the world are gonna fail because they're going after the wrong purpose. And I think this is where we can start to say, okay, well, 
if this is why God has brought destruction, if this is why God has laid waste a tire insider, then, then what is the right purpose? How do we make sense? How do we make sense of the right purpose? Because it's, we're not, I want to be clear, it's wonderful that God has given a measure of economic prosperity to any nation that he would do that to. It's, it's wonderful that we can have medicine and we can order two-day things on Amazon. It's a, it's a blessing that we can grocery shop that way. It's a, like the, the, the idea that we have economic prosperity by itself is, isn't, isn't a bad thing. It's, it was never meant to be a bad thing. The problem is that when we get all of these things, when God blesses us, and James says that every good gift comes from the Father of life, when we get all these things, what is the purpose? What is God's purpose in giving us resources? And if, if God is saying that Jerusalem is the only safe long-term investment, the, the thing that we didn't say, well, well, what is an investment? Investment is something where we put our resources in it and we want to return. We put our resources into something and we want to return. So God is narrowing in on that. And he's saying, I do want you to invest your resources. I do want, at times, I work and bless you financially, economically. I raise up countries in a way, but I, but I have a purpose. And when he, he calls out this nation, he calls out this, this time frame, he kind of gives us little clues that they're, they're not on track with his purpose. Let's keep reading and see if we can figure out the, the right purpose um, for all of the resources that God gives us. Look at verse 10. He says, cross over your land like the Nile, O daughters of Tarshish. There is no restraint anymore. He's like, look, Sidon is destroyed. Take your ships wherever you want. He has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord, Yahweh, has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, you will no more exalt. Again, he's kind of hitting home this idea that the purpose of Tyre and Sidon and Tarshish was to exalt themselves, was to, to boast in the pride of man, was to take the resources that God had given them and sort of twist their purpose so that they were for their glory and not for his. And he says, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon, arise, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will have no rest. And he gives a little statement in verse 13. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. He's saying, you didn't even know the people that I raised up to accomplish my purposes, you weren't even aware of. This is the people that was not. And it's a very abrupt change into the very next sentence. It says, Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. It's rough. We have this, this sort of economic powerhouse, uh, the, the, this investment that God is just saying, you are going after your purposes for your glory and so I'm going to decimate you with a nation that you don't even know exists, that you're not even considering as something that could be a threat. And, it's, and at this point, it's difficult to say, okay, well, I get it. It's a tire inside, and for the glory and honor of man is a, a failed investment. The, the, the purpose is, is not for God's glory. So how do I think about, how do I think about why God has given us resources? How do, what's, the, what's the certain investment? 
if, if, we're, if uh, Jerusalem is the only safe long-term investment, how do I know what that looks like? And he, I think he gives us a hint with what seems like, a, it's hard not to read this and think that Isaiah is really just making fun of Tyre at this point. Uh, this, is a, this is difficult not to read it this way. In verse 15, he says, in that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. And we'll get back to the 70 years here in a minute. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. What's the song of the prostitute? Take a harp. Go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melody. Sing many songs that you may be remembered. Why do we go from all of this sort of economic system to then thinking about Tyre and Sidon in the ships of Tarshish as a prostitute? It does kind of seem like it comes out of nowhere. And it's actually not the first time God has called a city a prostitute. He called Jerusalem a prostitute in the first chapter of Isaiah. And this idea of prostitution is important as it's used in Scripture. Prostitution is taking something good, taking something wonderful, taking something beautiful like sex between a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage and twisting it. So a lot of times prostitution in Scripture is used as sort of the the, the stereotypical or the sort of textbook way of twisting the purposes of something that God has given us. So he's looking at Tarshish and he's saying, God has given all of these resources and now you've twist the purposes and you're using it for your own glory when you should be using it for something else. And I think this is helpful to just consider maybe big picture and we step back and say, what, why does God bless us? Why does God give us resources? Why does God give us anything? And it's ultimately to build his kingdom. We've been comparing Jerusalem and Babylon as we kind of go through this whole thing, but God is working to build his kingdom. He's working to make a people in the image of God, enjoying the very presence of God. This is what he's doing. And we image God, we look like God, we're meant to look like God in the world. We say at Emmaus that the, the gospel transforms us into the image of Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is what God looks like if he was to be a person because he became a person. So we know the image of God. And he's created us to image God. So every time we do something that doesn't image our creator, we're prostituting ourselves. We're twisting the purpose of God endowing us with his very image. And he looks at Sidon and says, these are people made in my image. These are people I've blessed with resources and they're using it for their purpose and for their glory instead of using it for others, instead of using it to look like me, instead of using it to further my kingdom, instead of using it to have my presence be filled throughout the entire world. So he goes on to say in verse 17, at the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. And it's interesting, he's basically saying this this world economic trade system that I'm, I'm gonna destroy, it'll be back. It'll be back and it will prostitute itself again. It'll be wealthy again. 
And I thought about that, and that's kind of how, if you take a broader view of history, that's not that uncommon. Uh, I did some simple math. Uh, in 2019, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Facebook were worth roughly $5 trillion in 2019. $5 trillion. Who's heard of the Mississippi Company? Right. So, none of us. But in 1720, the Mississippi Company had a, it was a monopoly in the French co colonies that had a market capitalization of almost $7 trillion. Who remembers them? The Dutch East India Company, that one might be a little more familiar. The estimated market capitalization of the Dutch East India Company was over $8 trillion. They're not around anymore. And yet we invest so much into these things. And he's saying, yeah, it's going to be destroyed, but in 70 years, it's going to come back. It's going to prostitute itself with the rest of the world. It's going to get rich again. This is just sort of how things happen. But the beautiful thing, I think the thing that's most encouraging is that God is always using these things for his purposes. God is, God is determined to build his kingdom. God is determined to grow Jerusalem, to, to have people that image him, to have people that are worshiping him and gathering in his presence. And he gives us a little promise in verse 18. It's interesting. It's her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. Okay, that's odd because before she was prostituting herself. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. So all of a sudden, he's saying, I'm going to destroy Tyre and Sidon in the Tarshish because they're not following my purpose. They're twisting it. But I'm going to, they're going to raise back up again, and I'm going to use them for my purpose. In 70 years, her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. And I think this is, a, this is kind of one of those fun things where if you understand uh, some of the history of Israel and what, what is happening chronologically, we, we actually get to see an element of this fulfilled. So in Israel's time, Babylon has not expanded to be this wonderful, uh, glorious nation yet. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet that comes after Israel, or, or after Isaiah, says, hey, in 70 years, we're, get, we're getting taken away right now. We're going off to slavery. Babylon is, is risen. We're being driven out of Jerusalem. There's an entire book called Lamentations about how terrible that is. And yet God is going to rescue his people in 70 years. So then we get the book of Daniel. It's one of those Jews that was carried off who is now in Babylon serving. And he even notices, hey, it's been 70 years God promised to use the wealth of the nations. God promised to restore and build his kingdom. And he, he cries out to God and says, Lord, forgive us. We did sin. We did look like all the other nations. You should have brought us low, but you've, but you've promised to raise us up. And we, and we get in Ezra, in Ezra, we actually get a picture. We actually get some explanation of what is happening We get a little explanation of what happened 70 years later. Look at Ezra chapter 1, verse 5. I think we should have that, yeah. So here we are, 70 years later. Babylon 
business is booming. Tyre and Sidon are prostituting themselves with the world. They're becoming rich and wealthy again, and the city of Babylon is becoming one of the ancient wonders of the world. It's super wealthy again. And you can read plenty of other parts of the Bible to see that their purposes were not for the glory and honor of God. But look at what God does 70 years later in verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought, on top of all of the gold and silver, all the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem in place in the house of the gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in charge of Mithreth, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah, and this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. All the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Here we are, 70 years later, and God is saying, I had a plan to accomplish my purposes. Tyre and Sidon and Tarshish was investing in something else to establish their kingdom. And he's like, I'm going to destroy you, allow you to raise up, but it's my investment. My kingdom is something that's certain. And I'm promising you ahead of time that all the wealth that you're going to acquire, all the things that are going to come to Babylon, I'm actually going to use that wealth to accomplish my purposes. This is the this is the wonder, this is the, the beauty of what God is doing. And I'll skip ahead in Ezra 6 all the way to verse 4. Because he, he, he shows us another picture of all the wealth that Babylon is just feeding for the building of Jerusalem. And it's, at the end of that verse, it says, let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. God is giving us a picture no matter where we invest, because we do, we do invest in things that are not certain. We do invest in things that are not failing. We, we often invest our time, our money, the things we have, not in God's kingdom. And God's like, you know what? I'm still gonna use that for my purposes. So do you wanna be in line with my purpose? Do you, do you want to trust my judgments that Jerusalem is the only sure investment and enjoy more of my presence and enjoy more of my beauty and enjoy more of what I'm doing in the world? Or do you want to put money over here and I'm just going to use it for my purposes anyways? That's the beauty of what God is doing. He's the king. He's on the throne. He's building his kingdom. And I, as, I, as I, I thought about this and I was like, well, this is a, a, a little bit, strong. So how do we think about applying this? If, if that's where our, 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 our certain investment is in Jerusalem, in the people of God, being in the presence of God, imaging God, how does it look to, if we take that serious, how does it actually look to then apply that? And I thought since we were talking about money, um, I would go to what Jesus says, um, and I then feel a little bit more supported because he's pretty straightforward about a lot of things. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses, we're going to start in 19. 
we're trying to say, if we take what Isaiah is saying serious, if, if, if Jerusalem is really the only sure long-term investment, how do I know when I'm investing in Jerusalem or like Tyre and Sidon and Tarshish, I'm investing in Babylon? How do I know where I'm putting my time, my resources, my money, my things? How do I know when I'm investing in something that's eternal? Let's look at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is. And I think that's a good way to know how I'm investing in something that's going to last in Jerusalem or in something that's fading. Where is my treasure? What do I treasure? What do I value? Is it things of the world? Or is it things of Jerusalem, things of heaven? And I was thinking about things of heaven and and self-control is one that kind of came to my mind. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Do I value self-control? Because I, I think that that's an eternal, lasting thing that God will use to bring his kingdom. Some, for some people, that might just mean I should probably then budget. <laughs> because if I don't value self-control, I don't want to have to think about how much money I do or don't have. I'd rather just spend when I feel like it. But, but, but that's just an example of where our treasure is. Our, our heart doesn't want to think about self-control. We'd rather, we'd rather not accept God's judgment and say that I want to I be able to spend on what I want to be able to spend on. And if we, if we value things of heaven, if we treasure something like self-control, then that, that will look differently in how we use our resources. What about if we're, we're called to image God to others? Jesus is the most otherly concerned human in, the faith, in existence. How much of his life was given for others? How much did he value imaging God for others? If you were to download my uh, Discover statement and my Wells Fargo and pie chart it out, how much of that would be for others? What, what do I treasure? We, we should ask ourselves these things. What do we treasure? Are we putting a big chunk of the, the pie into things that God's going to repurpose for his kingdom anyways? Or are we trusting his judgment so that we can enjoy more of him? So that we could see more of his beauty? You know, maybe it's not a money thing. Maybe we have stuff. We could be hospitable. We could value that. We could bring people into our homes. We can, we can share. Those are, those are ways that we can use our resources for, for, to invest in something that's eternal, to invest in something that's lasting. Uh, Jesus kind of escalates this a little bit in verse 31. 
He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It's hard not to think of the song. (laughs) What is the name of the? Seeds Family Worship. Yeah, Bridget has Seeds Family Worship songs. And so when we read verses that has a melody to it for a kid's song, I I hear it in my head. What shall we? All right. So anyways, um, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So how do we know when we're investing in Jerusalem? What do we seek first? What do we seek first? Is first things that are not a certain long-term investment that God is just going to use anyways for his kingdom? Or is first... Jerusalem, his people, being in his image, considering his presence. Is that what we think of first? Like when we think about a job, do we consider our brothers and sisters in the community? Do we consider how the effects of that job will make it harder or easier to serve my spouse, to love the person in my gospel community? Or do we think about other things that are ultimately going to fade? What about when we think about where we're going to live? I think, how close am I to the bike trail? Because the kingdom, I don't. (laughs) But how how do we love each other and how do we consider each other and how do we we be the family of God and the presence of God if if we don't consider those things? Jesus is saying this should be first. This should be first in our decisions as God gives us resources. He blesses us. He wonderfully blesses us so that we could image him and and experience his presence and be his people in the world. What about when you make a budget? No, I don't like to make a budget. Bridget loves to make a budget. (laughs) But what's first? What do you consider first? Is it, is it God's kingdom because you know that's an investment that will pay dividends for eternity? Or is it all the things in the world? And this is tough. These are, these are, these are like painful things to consider. And I, I, I think Jesus knows that. And he says, hey, all these other things will be added to you. He's like, just so you know, I've told you about how much I care for you. I've told you that I'm giving my life for you. I've told you that I want you to be a part of my family. I'm your heavenly father. I told you that I know what's best for you. I'm not giving you these judgments about things to spite you or to make life hard. I'm sharing what it takes to enjoy and rest in my presence. God is giving us his judgments. God is helping us understand where we can put all of our resources where we can put the time we've been given. Some of us has a lot of time. How do we use that? Where we can put the money that we're given, where we can put the things that we're given. I'm trying to tell you where all these wonderful things I've given you, you can invest in so that you can know me better, so that you can enjoy me more, so that you can have the perfect peace that I promise in my presence. And this is the the beauty of the gospel is that we have a king who did all of those things perfect for us. 
The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, not for a second of his entire life, once thought of anything less than the kingdom of God as very first. That's ridiculous. I can't even imagine that. That's, that's what God has credited to you in the gospel. That's why God is giving you his judgments and drawing you into himself because he knows in our sin, we go every which way. And he's credited us the righteousness of Jesus and saying, listen to what I'm saying. I want you to enjoy me. I'm not out to get you. The other things you invest in are ultimately going to fail you. And it isn't gonna be pretty. Read about Tyre and Sidon. He's trying to warn us so that we could find our joy, find our comfort, find our hope ultimately in his presence. And thanks be to God for that unspeakable gift, a God who would even share his judgments with us so that we could enjoy his presence. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you. You're so patient with us. Um, we do so many foolish things, and yet you have united us to your son, and you're drawing us to you, and you're, you're helping us see every day more and more the beauty and the wonder of who you are. The gospel is good news, not because we get into heaven. Uh, the gospel is good news because it enables us to be in your presence where there's joy forevermore. Lord, I thank you for that beautiful gospel. I pray that that would be something that resonates in our minds and something that we consider all week because your spirit has impressed upon us your judgments so that we could enjoy your presence. In your name I pray, amen.